The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is the American Greed Podcast, presented by CNBC. Mr. Madoff, what do you have to say for yourself? It's one of the greatest lies ever sold. For the past decade, Bernie Madoff has been the personification of greed, locked away from the world as he serves a 150-year prison sentence. But that's not the end of the story. I'm CNBC special correspondent Scott Cohen. And I'm Chuck Schaefer, executive producer of the CNBC original series, American Greed. For 10 years, we've been investigating the Madoff scandal, piecing together the puzzle, speaking with the key players, including Madoff himself. In this special podcast series, we're going behind bars to uncover Madoff today. From the lawyers, he realized it was all over, to the investigators. That he's a pathological liar. To the victims. What he did is despicable. There's no other word for it. The financial ripple effect of his con. In this episode, Life in a Cell. Who is Madoff today? Inside the mind of the world's most notorious con man. This is American Greed, Madoff, 10 years later. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our American Greed podcast special series, Madoff, 10 Years Later. I'm Chuck Schaefer. I'm the executive producer of the show American Greed on CNBC. And I'm Scott Cohn, CNBC special correspondent. Hard to believe it. It's been a decade since Bernie Madoff's $65 billion scam blew up. And uh, part one of our series is all about Bernie himself. And we get a unique perspective from Scott because he actually did visit him in, behind bars in Butner, North Carolina. Yeah, this was in uh, 2013, and it, it, it was the culmination of about three years of writing letters to him and, and a little bit of correspondence back and forth with the idea of ultimately trying to get into prison and interview him. And we went through this very long process of setting it up, first getting his consent to do it, and then uh, the Bureau of Prisons, the warden at Butner had to approve it. And uh, this was January of 2013, and it was very different Bernie Madoff that I met that day as compared to the last time I had seen him, which was when he was in court uh, in 2009, June of 2009, for his sentencing, mm -hmm. uh, a surreal event in itself. But at that point, he was kind of a zombie. He was, he, he was skinny. He was wearing a business suit that was kind of hanging off of him. I get to prison that day in that January of 2013, and it was a different Bernie Madoff. Mm. What? Let me go back to to just a process-y sort of question. Yeah. How how do you appeal to a sociopath that I'd like to interview you? Interesting. I mean, we I, I sent him a lot of letters. I tried to um, I guess sort of empathize with. Uh, you know, what, what, what must you be thinking right now? What do you want to tell the world about? And, you know, Bernie Madoff is, uh, yes, he's, I, I think it's fair to say, is a sociopath. He's a man with a massive ego, although he doesn't really exude that in person. Uh, but he is, he is, to this day, I think, very proud of what he did in the financial markets, which is very legitimate. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of the markets that we know today 
um, are, were shaped in large part by Bernie Madoff. And I think he wanted to be remembered not just for his massive Ponzi scheme, obviously. Mm -hmm. He wanted to be remembered for the influence that he had on the markets. So, you know, I, we talked a lot about that. What do you want to say? And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and so there were, there were emails back and forth in the prison email system um, about what he was thinking about the, 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 the way that the, the case was playing out, what mm -hmm. his role was. Uh, always kind of tagged with, I feel great remorse, and I feel I feel ashamed of what I did, and I'm sorry for my victims. But it wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. it, it didn't. People were complicit in this, and the the trustee Irving Picard, who's rounding up the money, is is getting things wrong and things like that. So yeah. it's so it's it's kind of talking about. Uh, those things that I knew were important to him with the idea of, you know, I want to get in and visit with you. And that culminated, uh, again, after about three years of, of effort in 2013 of, of getting into prison, and I, I had two hours with him. Let's dig down into just the whole process of getting into this prison mm -hmm. versus getting into uh, a, a hardcore, you know, mm -hmm. big lockdown type right. Oz. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So first... <laughs> First thing they did, what, was it like at the club? They gave you a hand stamp? Yeah, I mean, there's, so I've been to, to this level of federal prison. This is a medium medium security prison. Um, this was a, it's not a bad, as prisons go, mm -hmm. uh, not bad, clean and all that. Um, but yeah, you go in, you go through security, they stamp your hands so that they, they, uh, they know who's going in and coming out. Mm -hmm. um, since this was a set visit as opposed to uh, just a regular visitor coming in for visiting hours, mm -hmm. um, I was able to bring in a notebook, but nothing else, a notebook and a pen. Mm -hmm. um, no recording devices. They, we obviously wanted to have him on camera, but that's next to impossible in the federal prison system. Mm -hmm. They always say it's about security, but I think they were also very sensitive to this high-profile inmate. Uh, Bernie Madoff and not not making him so much getting of a, a platform exactly. Right. Um, so yeah, so you go th you go through security, and I remember thinking, you know, as prisons go, it's not horrible. It had mm -hmm. more the feel of a college campus or a school wow. building than uh, than what you would think of as a prison. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it a, a club fed, a country club kind of thing, but. Uh, it was not. It was not a, a an old rundown building or mm -hmm. a place where you were scared to be. Okay. And there were considerations of why he went to that prison. Was right. health one of them? The health is one of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, even at the time he was in his seventies. Um, so it's uh, the Butner Prison Complex has a couple of medium security units. I believe it has a, a higher security unit for the violent offenders. Bernie is in the medium security unit one. Mm -hmm. uh, but also Butner has one of the better medical centers in the federal prison system. Uh, and, and so because he had some health issues going in, because he was older, because he was high profile, that probably has something to do with why he was assigned there. It's kind of interesting. What was the first thing you said to him? And it, uh, yeah, where'd that come from? I, it, it, I don't know exactly where it came from. The first thing I said to him was, you look good. And as I said, when, when I saw him in court in, in, in 2009, the last time I saw him in court, and I was you know, probably 15 feet away from him sitting in the jury box at his, at his sentencing, he looked horrible. Uh, this had obviously taken a toll on him. At that point, he had been in the he'd been combination of either under house arrest or in the Metropolitan uh, uh, Correction, the detention facility, mm -hmm. which is not a happy place to be. Uh, and, and I think the weight of all of this, at least at that point, had come down on him. So he looked he looked like a shell of himself. Mm -hmm. When I saw him in prison, 
he looked more like the Bernie Madoff of old. There's a famous video of him, 2007, doing a, a seminar on, on regulation, a roundtable. And you see Bernie sitting around this, this kind of around a round table mm -hmm. and looking very sure of himself, yeah. talking about the future of markets and things like that. This was more of what, what Bernie Madoff in 2013 looked like. Bernie Madoff was never a very charismatic guy. Right. In prison, he just looked like a regular kind of grandfatherly guy. Did he, so he didn't come across with any special aura. He didn't light up a room. No, he no. didn't, is that not fair to least, say? Not in the least bit. And I, and I, you know, from people who met him in years past when he yeah. was running his, his Ponzi scheme um, and when he was a, a Wall Street luminary, he wasn't a larger-than-life personality. He did not have any sort of aura, certainly not, not when I saw him in court and certainly not when I saw him uh, when I saw him in person. So yeah, the first thing I said to him, you, you look good. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a weird thing to say. I just blurted it out, but mm -hmm. we just sort of went with it. And, um, and you do really feel like you're, you're just talking to a regular guy. So the allure was the money. The allure was the money. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the allure was, I got a guy, you know, I, I've got this, this guy on wall street who beats the market all the time. And, mm -hmm. you know, and not everyone can get in with him. And, uh, it's it's his performance. It's uh, as as we've heard when we talked to to victims then and now, they all talk about he was the the head of the Nasdaq. He was the non-executive chairman of the Nasdaq. Um, you know, he was somebody who who had who was a name on Wall Street. wasn't wasn't a household name even at CNBC. Mm -mm. He wasn't somebody that we covered all the time. And there was one interview from from 1999, and you look back on that and. Uh, you know, this was a guy who was really on the cutting edge of markets in mm -hmm. 1999, talking about how all we're, we're all going to be able to trade online someday. Mm -hmm. People have been curious about, they've said we've been quiet. You know, Madoff has been very quiet, you know, recently. And uh, people, since we have always been in the forefront of a lot of these technological changes, people were, uh, were sort of wondering what we were doing. But his allure was... You knew he had some stature. Mm -hmm. You knew he was in the business, and he can make you a little extra money even when the market's sure. down. And he wore his tailored suits from London. Right. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was put together when he was, uh, yeah, his, his watches, his suits, his, mm -hmm. his office was, he insisted on a certain kind of aura around uh, of the office. Um, so he, he had, he certainly had that sort of sense of style. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but, but he wasn't, I, I would, I would say he never was exactly somebody with, with an aura, with a mm -hmm. mystique beyond, I can make you some money. Mm -hmm. And that was the impression that I got when I finally met him in person and spent that time with him was that, uh, this guy is not polished. He's not, you know, he's, he's just a guy. Save big money in your next project with help from an arts. Move water where you need it quickly with a Barracuda sump pump. Some pumps keep your basement dry when big storms hit unexpectedly. Get a half-horsepower cast-iron Barracuda sump pump on sale now through May 5th. Hurry into Menards and don't forget to check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Were you looking for wisdom or were you looking for follow the money? Where where are we? When what I were met you looking him, for when you met him? Yeah. Um, it was just who is this guy? What does he want to say? What is he? What is his take on all of this? Because at this point, we already we we had talked on the phone a couple of times. Mm-hmm. We had these these emails back and forth, um, and you know, and he had a set sort of narrative that he wanted to get out there. Uh, which was at odds with everything that the prosecutors, the, mm-hmm. the trustee, Irving Picard, uh, everything that independent fact checkers and investigators found. Uh, Bernie had a different take on things, and he wanted to project himself as somebody who felt bad about what he did, felt bad for the victims, but look, I'm getting them their money back. I'm, I'm, uh, they wouldn't be able to find all this money without me, which is not true. Uh, but by all accounts, this wasn't Bernie Madoff telling you where the bodies were buried. Mm-hmm. He didn't do that. Um, but he wanted to talk about that. He wanted to talk about how the system worked and how the system failed. And the system did fail. Oh, yeah. There's no question about that, that the system failed. Um, but he wanted to still put his kind of spin on things, mm-hmm. his uh, put it, put himself in the best possible light while always trying to put out there whenever he could I feel bad I feel I feel mm-hmm. horrible for the victims I'm ashamed of what I did uh, and that type of thing but then still sort of mm-hmm. nudge things in his way we sat down with Mark Litt who was the prosecuting attorney mm-hmm. and you talked to him about his cooperation yeah I talked to him about uh, yeah and, and Mark Litt who's never talked about this case publicly until this 10-year anniversary. He was the lead prosecutor, and uh, Litt talked about meeting Madoff at the time, uh, after he had confessed, and asking him about, asking him questions, and he said that, you know, fairly quickly it became clear that he wasn't telling the truth. He didn't make anybody any money. He never invested a dollar in this business. I believe that he's a pathological liar. The same story came from Irving Picard, the trustee who's been rounding up all this money. They met with Madoff, uh, I think more than once, Mm -hmm. uh, and determined that there wasn't any use in it because he wasn't giving them that much information. Um, What what he wanted, what Madoff wanted to say when he talked to us, Mm -hmm. uh, and this sort of running theme, was that there were others that were complicit. And uh, Madoff's attorney, uh, Ira Lee Sorkin, mm. who's still in touch with him, uh, tells a similar story that there were there were clients that it wasn't just about Bernie Madoff making me a little bit of extra money. It was about hey Bernie, I I need a I need to show a loss on my taxes. Can you reconstruct these trades for me or show you know help me create a, a tax loss to to offset some income? He created fictitious documents, and the customer investor slash investor knew about it. And the government never pursued that. Uh, why? I don't know. Uh, but um, there were investors who did profit through that type of trade. Which is uh, illegal. Which is illegal. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but these, these clients were, 
who these supposed victims were complicit in that way. Um, you know, his his main bank was J.P. Morgan Chase. J.P. Morgan Chase uh, ultimately entered into a deferred, prosec uh, deferred prosecution agreement with the U.S. Attorney's Office mm -hmm. in New York. They were charged with two felony counts of uh, not not uh, maintaining adequate uh, money laundering controls and things like mm -hmm. that, not knowing their customer, which you require to do. Uh, it was deferred prosecution, so they had two years to show that they had cleaned up their act, they'd implemented these controls, and they paid $2.6 billion in fines. So... So it was a significant amount of money for you and me. It was a significant amount of money for you and me. For J.P. Morgan Chase, it's about 10 days' worth of revenue. Um, nonetheless, $2.6 billion mm. was money that um, went toward, toward victims. Um, and, and so uh, there is certainly some value in that. We don't know what, what the bank did to clean up its act. Mm -hmm. um, we, we don't know because that was never disclosed. The charges were dropped after two years mm -hmm. after the government said, yes, they've, they've implemented these controls, they've paid their money, we're dropping the case. And so, so Madoff's position and what he talked about during this interview was that his fraud, the, the fiction of the Ponzi scheme, was something that he did um, and, and that no one else could, even, even Peter Madoff, who was the compliance officer at the investment advisory business and did wind up pleading guilty yeah. and going to prison, uh, uh, Bernie Madoff's younger brother, uh, they couldn't have known. And the sons absolutely couldn't have known. What about the relationship between the father and the sons? Uh, was it an open relationship that they could go up to his floor and say, what's going on here? Uh, apparently not. And, and we don't know. We know that, um, well... We know that you could go back to December 10th, 2008, when the financial crisis is in full swing. Mm -hmm. uh, Madoff is being pounded with redemptions. People want their money back. And he confesses to, to his sons, this has all been a giant Ponzi scheme. There's the, no money to return. There's no money to return. Um, he, he had, there was no way out at that point. Mm -hmm. um, now, supposedly, he wanted some time then to unwind things. He let them know he was going to um, make sure that, I guess, favored clients got their money. He was wow. able to wind down the business. The sons wanted nothing of that because if they had, at that point, yeah. gone along with it, they would have been complicit in the crime. Mm -hmm. And so the story goes that the sons called the feds and, uh, and, and Madoff was arrested the next God. day. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. He wanted a week. Was Suppo- his original plan? Supposedly, he wanted a week. He and and we think that it was again to to wind things down, to to make payments to people that he felt should should have their money. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he thought in some way he could still get out of this this uh, sure. this death spiral. Although I, that's probably not the case. Um, yeah, he wanted. He still wanted to do things on his own terms, and the sons. If again you you believe the story and the sons aren't here to tell us about it, no. um, the sons said no. They 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 called the FBI right then and there, mm-hmm. and the next day he was in custody. And there's still people question whether the sons knew anything. That will go on forever, I guess. And and it will. And you know, and this, the story of the sons is just is just tragic. Mm-hmm. First, there's Mark Madoff, the older son, um, who killed himself in on the second anniversary in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, his his son was in the other room. He hanged himself, um, yeah. and, and and it wasn't so much. And, and I believe this. I, 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 I as I said, I believe it's plausible that he didn't know, but still, everyone was coming at him. And this this scandal, mm-hmm. he was he knew he was never going to escape this yeah. uh, by changing his name, and he was still going to be Mark mm-hmm. Madoff, Bernie Madoff's son. And around that time, the uh, the, the the trustee Irving Picard was ratcheting up his pressure against the sons and had sued both of the sons saying that they uh, they received fraudulent or uh, Ill- fraudulent benefits from the scheme and that they should be paying some money back. Mm-hmm. And Picard was ratcheting that up to the point where he was going to go after the family, going after the children. Going and after the, the family's going, money going, or their freedom? Going after the family's money was mm. primarily because he wasn't a criminal prosecutor. He was the guy right. rounding up the money. Mm. But he was going after not just Madoff's sons, but Madoff's grandchildren. And it was too much for Mark Madoff. Mm-hmm. And so so he hanged himself. Getting back to Bernie, what was his take on Mark's suicide? His take on, on Mark's suicide was that he was sending a message. And, and, and I wrote in my notes, duh. Yeah, he was sending a message, and he, you know, he did it on the second anniversary of his of his father's arrest, his mm-hmm. father's confession. Um, he was sending a message. We don't know exactly what that message was. I, th- I think it's just, you know, that's just a, a horribly tragic story of uh, th- these sons. By all accounts, they revered their father. This was the patriarch of the family. They took after him in the family business, and and now here they find out dad's whole thing was a lie. Uh, mm. and victimized thousands and thousands of people. And if you believe them and you believe the, the family that the sons knew nothing about it, uh, imagine what it would be like to live with that. And for Mark Madoff, it was just too much. He just couldn't. Mm. Um, so so Madoff, you know, he felt, I think he felt badly about it. He told me at the time how he... He hoped that someday he would be able to connect with his grandchildren, but but Andrew Madoff was mm. insistent that that Ruth, Bernie's yeah. wife, have no contact with with Madoff, she, and basically said to Ruth, "If you want to see your grandchildren again, you will have no contact with with our father." Mm-hmm. Um, and for the most part, she 
she stuck with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it Bernie was, and Bernie was you know he he wanted to know his grandchildren. He he said to me that he hoped that someday they would somehow understand and and that someday before he died that he would get to see them. I, I can't imagine that'll ever happen. In your email exchanges, he talked to you about um, not regretting pleading guilty. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? Yeah, he said at one point, I, I, I wish I hadn't pled guilty. And, and this came from Bernie Madoff always wanting to try and control the narrative. And at that point, the narrative was being controlled largely by Irving Picard, the trustee, the SIPC trustee, who uh, Securities Investor Protection Corporation, who's rounding up uh, assets for the victims. And, um, and, and was telling a story of Bernie Madoff's fraud, the fictitious trades, the, all the things that he did. Uh, I was also told by people like Harry Markopoulos, who was uh, uh, a fraud investigator based in Boston mm-hmm. who claimed to have alerted the SEC years before. Uh, these were the people who were telling mm-hmm. the story of Bernie Madoff. And by pleading guilty, he kind of forfeited the ability to help shape that. And now this was a way for him to do that. And so at one point he said to me, I wish I hadn't pled guilty. Not that he didn't admit that he did his crime, Mm -hmm. but I think it came from the fact that he wanted to be, he wanted to have a voice in this. He wanted to have a say in this. Um, Of course, you and I and the prosecutors and the Mm -hmm. victims figure, well, he kind of forfeited that. You know, he yeah. he uh, he should just go away. Mark Litt talks about that. The prosecutor, how he says he's a you know he's a pathological liar. Why does everyone want to anybody want to hear from mm-hmm. him? I don't believe people who are pathological liars should be given a soapbox, and I don't think people should be interested in what they have to say, um, and I don't think people should report what they have to say. Why do reporters like me want to go to prison and 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 give this guy a soapbox mm-hmm. and? We would, hear, we would hear that every time that I would get an email and we reported on CNBC um, and, and when we did this. Victims are victimized vi- vi- again. Victims are victimized yeah. again. Why are you giving this guy a platform? And it's a fair question. Sure. I do think that it's valuable to get into his head, um, to know how to protect yourself, uh, to know what makes somebody like this tick that would steal all this money and ru- ruin so many lives mm-hmm. really in service of his own ego. Um, but it is a fair point and something that we, we, uh, we always thought about and tried to be careful with to not just give him a soapbox. Mm-hmm. But I think that getting back to your question, when he said, I, I sometimes regret pleading guilty, it was, it was frustration with the fact that he had lost control of the narrative. Mm-hmm. He had lost control. Uh, it, it, one thing we know about Bernie Madoff from mm-hmm. the, the way that he wanted his office laid out, the way that he, um, uh, from the, the, everything down to the interior decoration of his office, he was somebody who wanted control. And in this instance, he had no control anymore. Mm-hmm. Other people were telling his story. And I think that's why he wanted to talk. Um, I guess when you live, you get accustomed to a certain way and a certain amount of people kissing your ass, you know, you don't want to give it up. So you want to just keep the respect, the money, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, we, 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 we can't, we, as much as we try and as much as we're doing here trying mm-hmm. to get into his head, we can't. And, and I try not to do that. But, um, but just, again, you look, you, you think about your own common sense. That's what they tell jurors to do. Yeah, uh, yeah he had a lot going for him. He had a nice life. Uh, 
he wasn't somebody who was ostentatious about his wealth, but he had a bunch of yachts. He had a home in Palm Beach, a home mm -hmm. in Montauk, a home in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. He was living well. Mm -hmm. and He, he and did, his family. He and his family well. were living well, and his family revered him. Uh, his sons, his grandchildren, his wife, his brother, mm -hmm. uh, his employees. And, you know, he was faced with a choice at that point of do I, am I honest? And do I forfeit all of that by being honest? Or do I take this different course? So whatever fraud he was doing, if he was doing fraud before that, mm -hmm. if you believe the regulators and the prosecutors and the investigators that it went on for longer, or as, as we said, if you just think about, does somebody suddenly become a, a dastardly criminal after 34 years of being pure as the driven snow? Yeah. I don't think so. Um, you know, he, he was faced with this choice, and he, he took this course, and the rest is history. So now he's in prison. Right. And his demeanor, his, he, you said he looked did, did he look like the weight of the world was off him? He, yes, and he, he told me that, um, you know, he said, once you get past the fact that, that I'm going to die in here, and once I get past the fact that I'm cut off from my family and that my son, Mark, had taken his own life. Mm -hmm. At that point, Andrew was still alive, but, yeah. but suffering from, uh, from cancer, and he would die about a year after that yeah. uh, at just 48 years old. Um, he said, once you get past that, it's, it's a lot less stress. He said, um, you know, he used to uh, be always paying attention to the news and the ticker and all of that back when he was on Wall Street. Now he can read. So he had just finished a, a biography of Winston Churchill. And he said to me, he said, this is kind of like being in the Army, except you're not afraid of getting killed. Yeah. As far as day-to-day, um, -day, there were... There were talks that he'd gotten into fights and things of that nature. What 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 was your findings on that? You know, it's he he said that wasn't the case. There was a talk about at, at some point fairly early on that he had been uh, in a fight with an inmate or had been mm -hmm. beaten up, and I think he he spent some time in that medical center that we talked about. Um, that wasn't in my, as far as I could tell, that wasn't the case. He may have fallen or something like that, but it wasn't it wasn't so much an altercation. Um, he, he basically felt as though, as life goes, if he was going to wind up in, in, in prison, this isn't so bad. This is a lot less stressful. He had friends. He, he claimed that he was friends with Jonathan Pollard, the, uh, mm -hmm. the Israeli spy. Mm. Uh, there have been other conflicting reports about that, that maybe they weren't uh, on good terms, but mm -hmm. he said that they were friends. Um, and... And, and we're told today by, by Ike Sorkin, his attorney, that he, that he commands a certain respect in prison. I'm told that uh, the prison system, um, the inmates, respect age and intelligence. There's a respect from the prison population. And I think he's got that. He's, a, he's an older inmate. Clearly, mm -hmm. he's a high-profile inmate. Sure. Clearly, he... he, he uh, carried out the scam of the century and so he has a certain stature there people have financial questions they might as well ask bernie madoff he mm -hmm. knows about the stock market he knows about finance um so so as as life goes mm -hmm. for somebody who pulled off what he did mm -hmm. the massive ponzi scheme and the lives that he ruined uh yes he'll never be a free man again yes he'll die in prison but there are worse places for him to be true
in the homes of his victims. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah so you've 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 interviewed a whole heck of a lot of white collar criminals in your career. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you? Is there anything that strikes out? Are there any redeeming qualities that you found in those prisoners? And and where are you with Bernie in that? Respect? Yeah, I mean, look, I I I've I've met, dealt with, interacted with most white collar criminals. Not to totally toot my own horn here, but mm-hmm. you, you cover this beat for a while and you, you get to know these people and you do get to to see why they got to where they were, uh, in term, whether it's a CEO or a CFO mm-hmm. or, or somebody like that. Um, and a lot of, they're, they're all smart. Madoff is different. Madoff is, uh, he, he certainly, as I said, came off like kind of a regular guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, old man from Queens told interesting stories, and he he has had some uh, pretty fundamental, important impacts on the markets as we know them today. Mm-hmm. But he, it's hard to find a lot of redeeming qualities in him, in terms of what he did, how he rationalizes it and yeah. he will tell you as long as long as the day is that he's not rationalizing it he takes responsibility but I never really felt like he took it to heart certainly not when I met him in prison when I corresponded with him afterwards maybe when he was standing in that courtroom uh, getting his sentence and and uh, looking like the weight of the world really was on his shoulders mm-hmm. and feeling the feeling the wrath of his victims seeing his victims and that moment during the sentencing when he he turns to the victims after after mm. speaking to the judge and the so-called allocution mm-hmm. saying what he did he he at one at that point turns around and says i will turn and face you uh, i'm sorry and i know that doesn't help you and i think that was a moment of honesty mm-hmm. and that was that was bernie really facing up to what happened but in my my one-on-one with him since, mm-hmm. whether it's by email, by phone, or in person, I didn't feel that. So how did you leave it with him on your visit there? Uh, on my visit there, it was, you know, we were told by the, there was a public information officer in the room, kind of in the back of this big conference mm-hmm. room the whole time, and she said, okay, your time is up. We had two hours. Um, I obviously felt like we could have gone longer, but sure. that was uh, such as it was. Um shook hands. I said, can I come see you again? He said, absolutely. Um, that, of course, hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. Um, have a good day. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Um, and, and that was pretty much it. And I was left to think about what I had just experienced and yeah. who, I, who I had just spent yeah. two hours face-to-face with. And it was, uh, it was a, an amazing experience. It was, it was unsettling, for sure. Yeah. It was, you know, th- this was the worst financial criminal of all time. And yeah. I, I sat across the table just like we're sitting across the table uh for two hours yeah. um you know and, and we talked about have talked to financial white collar criminals before um sometimes it's just fascinating it's fascinating to get into their heads and what they what they know this didn't feel like it was fascinating this felt a little more unsettling this felt like mm-hmm. it always was him trying to get his story out there, mm-hmm. and and bear in mind this at this this information at the time and all of the emails, at his insistence were off the record, which is why we oh, didn't, yeah. we didn't uh, report on them at the time. Mm-hmm. Subsequently, he said you can use this, sure. and, and we did. Um, but uh, he part of it was that 
Uh, his employees were still to go on trial. At that point, his son Andrew was still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, he So he wanted to spin me without being out there. And again, yeah. that's control. That's Bernie Madoff in control. Uh, and, and so I think that was sort of what you came away with was, right, this guy was trying to control you. He's trying to control the story. You yeah. can't use it. Uh, so in that respect, it was sort of unsettling. Uh, but in many ways, the experience of a lifetime for someone who covers white-collar crime. He's the big fish. He's the big fish, yeah. 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 There was an email, one of the last emails that, uh, that he sent. I just asked him how he was doing. I mm-hmm. do that every so often. What's on your mind these days? Uh, he writes back, I'm hanging in there. I miss my family terribly. How on earth did I get myself into this nightmare, Bernie? Um, wow. And, and, and think about that, though. It's, it's all about him. Yeah. How did I get myself into this nightmare? Yeah. Where's my family? And this is this was uh, sometime after Andrew had died. Yeah, um, his, his his younger son mm-hmm. uh, died tragically of cancer. Not you know I feel so horrible for my victims. I mm-hmm. I, I want I want to do such and such. No, how did I get myself into this nightmare? Mm-hmm. I feel I feel terribly. I miss my family. I, I think his 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 victims would say cry me a river. And as far as the next Bernie Madoff, could that ever happen again? I mean, that's what I we're going to so. find out. I think that's what we're going to find out, and I know we're going to talk about that. Uh, could it happen again? Could there? Uh, was this a perfect storm, or, uh, or, or are we going to see this again? Um, there are a lot of opinions about that. There's a lot of people that want to separate you from your money, and we'll talk about that in our next episode. Right. So you think you could not get scammed by a Bernie Madoff? Well, we're going to ask about that on our next episode in this uh, special American Greed podcast series. We hope you'll subscribe today and, and listen to all of our episodes. Thanks for listening to the American Greed podcast presented by CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.